Hello, friends, and welcome to But I Digest. I am Steve McDonough. On every episode of But I Digest, we do a deep dive into a specific food or ingredient, and Hans Rufert, as he likes to say, Hans Rufert, makes some clever food analogies right about now to introduce the topic, but Hans Rufert isn't here, so you just have me. Uh, you know, we have not been able to connect very well in the past couple of weeks. I think post-holidays can sometimes be just as crazy, if not crazier, than the holidays. Um so, yeah, our schedules have been tough. He's been in Ecuador, and I have been in Maui. Oh, poor us. I know you're thinking, you poor fellas. But it's been it's been difficult. But we haven't been able to get together. So um, we are back now, though, and we are set to get back to our normal schedule. But this one, I just wanted to hop in and do a quick mini episode while we catch up. So it's just me. I thought that I would tell you about what I ate in Hawaii. It's January here in Chicago, so for all my Midwestern and Northern friends, this one is for you. Just a little aloha to help get you through that car ride you're taking now with your defroster blasting. So let's talk about Hawaii. Um, Dan and I have been to Hawaii a couple of times, uh, a vacation to Kauai, as well as working the food and wine show multiple times at uh, on different islands, including uh, Oahu and Maui. But this was our first trip in a long time to just relax and take a an actual vacation, especially since COVID. Definitely we haven't been away since COVID. Oh, and you remember in the pineapple episode when I talked about Queen Liliuokalani and how she was deposed in a U.S. coup and what like a what a what a kind of dick um, it turned out that uh, uh, what's his name Sanford Dole was. Do you remember all that? Well, here's a quick little nugget I learned about her while I was in Maui. She wrote Aloha Oi. You know that song? Aloha Oi, Aloha Oi. She wrote that. The Queen wrote that. It means farewell to thee. And editor Natalie, I researched it, and there are recordings in the public domain because it was written so long ago. So we can just squeeze that in when people need a break from this voice right here. We can have a little aloha oi and you give your ears a little a little Steve break. Um, oh, and we're going to have so much fun and I'm going to make you so hungry. That's it. We're just going to talk about Hawaii food. It is not everything about Hawaii food or the absolute best about Hawaii food. I'm just going to tell you about the cool stuff that I had uh, and what it was like to be there. So let's start with a little music now as we get on our airplane. Natalie? Okay, so I'm lying. I'm not going to start with delicious food. I'm going to start with a food disaster. Our son, Nate, was so concerned that we were uh, not going to eat on the plane. So he did some research and read that when you take the flights to Hawaii, you always get a meal. So he's very excited. He loves being on planes. He wanted to sit on the plane and eat a meal. It's like for us from Chicago, it's like 10 to 12 hours of, of flying with the layover. So the airline was a bunch of lying liars. And they handed us some pretzels for this flight to Hawaii. And I didn't bring food, people, because we did the research. So I didn't bring food. I had half a sandwich left over from lunch and a granola bar and a baby Ruth in my handbag. And um, Nate, I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry. But guess what? It's time for Stump the Straight Audience. Okay, so... (laughs) 
what Broadway musical was that from? I wasn't planning on doing this. What Broadway musical is that from when Ruby gets off of a bus and she comes to New York City and she says, I want to be an actress. And then she goes to pass out. And um, this this other uh, uh, Broadway tap dancer stops her. She goes, are you OK? And Ruby says, I haven't eaten in a week. And she says, I've got a Joan. The character's name is Joan. Joan says, I've got a baby Ruth in my handbag. <laughs> Do you know what that is? Uh, songs in this musical include um, Where's My Umbrella? Uh, it's Here Somewhere. Bernadette Peters played the lead on Broadway. Other songs include um, It's Raining in My Heart. There's Something About You. Uh, I'm Star Tar of the Navy. It's just an adorable tap dancing show. And what is the musical? I'll give you a quick second to think about that. And if you know it, go to our uh, go to our Facebook page and throw it on there. It's a delightful musical that I've played twice. I played Dick once and I played Lucky once. Um, all right, enough of that. Enough of that. We've just thrown in an accidental uh, stump the straight guy. So all right. Let's try to get back to what we're doing. I've got a baby Ruth in my handbag. Oh, and and while we're here, I should tell you that the last episode we did, the eggnog episode, was what was the Damon Runyon musical, which we all know was Guys and Dolls. Everybody knows that except Hans. So anyway, we've got no food. So Nate says, uh, you know, can we get some of the, can we just buy the food, you know, that they, that they sell on that pathetic cart? We're like, yeah, okay. Well, the only semi-adequate option is that little charcuterie where they've got some meat and cheese. I mean, it's a poor excuse for a charcuterie, but, you know, the meat and cheese. So they say, yeah, we're out of that. So they had, like, no food. And the only protein on this entire trip over to Hawaii was some beef jerky that we bought for Nate. And people, it was disturbingly moist. I don't know what was the deal with the wet beef jerky, but I fed my child a pouch of wet, limp beef jerky. And obviously, since I'm telling you this story, I am haunted by it. All right, so we finally arrive in Maui. It's about one in the morning. Nothing's open because, you know, it's in Maui. And they're like, screw you. You want food at one o'clock? We live in paradise. We don't need to be awake at one o'clock. We're going to be awake when the rainbows are out. You should go to sleep now, and you should have made better plans. And they are correct. So good for them. So we spent that first night in Lahaina and hungry. Uh, that was the capital of Maui at one time. And it has this small beach town vibe with art galleries and loads of restaurants. And we knew nothing about it. So it was the perfect way, you know, when you wake up when you haven't been somewhere before and you got there in the dark and you wake up and you're like, oh, wow, look where I am. I had no idea that I drove here in the dark. It was fun. And you walk under this massive banyan tree that's in front of City Hall to go down to the harbor. The banyan tree is 60 feet high and a block wide. It spans a block. It's so cool. And it's a perfect spot to kind of snoop around for some good coffee and muffins, which is what we did. But we spent most of our time in the Kaanapali area. And some of the favorite things I ate. Here we go. Natalie, a little music. Poke, 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 poke. For the uninitiated, and you know what poke is, but I'm going to tell you what I It's chunks of raw marinated fish. It's usually tuna. Then it's, uh, it can be salmon as well, but it's then tossed over rice and topped with vegetables and uh, umami-packed sauces. And it, it's kind of like sushi adjacent. Poke means to slice or cut in Hawaiian. So if sushi is beef wellington, 
then poke is a sloppy joe. All right? So poke is everywhere, and you find it at the most surprising spots. It's at gas stations, and it's at roadside stands and food trucks. And in the case of Maui in particular, it's at Tamara's Liquor Store. It's a normal liquor store. It's this very large store, very well stocked. It has a whole deli counter area, though, of about 18 different types of poke. So Tamara's is known for their poke. It's not like I just you know stumbled across it and I'm telling you some secret. But the first thing that happens is I walk in, I go up to the deli case, and the guy behind the counter looks at me and goes, hey, do you have a podcast? And I'm like, oh, Hawaii. Oh, can I not get away at all? I just cannot go anywhere without someone saying, don't you have a podcast? And at the same time thinking, that's kind of strange because you don't see my face a lot on the podcast. But I was surprised. So I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah I do. I, you know, How do you know? And he goes, well, you're wearing a T-shirt that says Podcast Expo. I was like, oh, I am. All right. Well, thanks a lot, fish boy. Anyway, he tells me he does one on mental health. And how much do we love this guy? He's like working days in this liquor store poke spot and hosting a podcast on mental health and living in paradise. I just He was great. We just chatted for a long time. Great guy. We bought three different types of poke. And I told him the, for the fourth thing, just give me something that you think that I should eat. And I love when I'm at a spot and I want to just be told what the server thinks is delicious. Like, I don't need to hear, well, you know, don't ask me because our taste buds are different and I don't know what you like. Because when I say put something in that bag that you think is great that I should try, I mean it. Give me something. And if I don't really love it, okay, but at least I got to try something that I wouldn't have normally. So we had their ahi sunrise, which was ahi tuna with the spicy mayo and eel sauce. And the sunrise pokey was uh, uh, spicy and creamy with avocado and furikake on top. Do you know what furikake is, people? Furikake is a Japanese condiment. It's a dry one, and you find it in a shaker. So it goes on like a spice blend. You just shake it like a spice blend. And it's made of sesame seeds and dried fish, uh, chopped seaweed, and sugar and salt. And although I like it when someone uh, puts it on top of a dish for me, I don't self-serve it. I have a difficult time putting it on myself because we have it here at home. But here's the deal. It looks like fish food. Like it comes in a very fish food-like shaker. And when you shake it out, it looks like fish food and it smells a bit like fish food. And so like if Dan puts it on my rice, yay, this is fun. But I have a really hard time shaking this fish food on my own food. It freaks me out a bit. Not as much as moist beef jerky. Anyway. We had a couple of other types, and uh, the local option he put in for me was the dried aku, which is just skipjack tuna, salt, and black pepper. So it's like a chunk of fish jerky. See, we're back to the jerky already. So aku is a darker color than ahi tuna, so it's uh, more fishy, more strongly flavored. So my thoughts, it's not my favorite. And I don't love the chewy texture of the dried fish, and I feel like I lost the delicate flavors of the raw fish uh, once it's dried like that. But it was really fun. I wouldn't order it again, but I'm, I'm really glad he played my game and threw it in for me. The other thing that we bought there at Tamara's, we dropped over $100 for a picnic lunch, for God's sake. We bought shrimp chi chips, shrimp chips. You know those uh, massive ones, like the size of a coffee saucer, 
Now, do you know what the shrimp chips are? They're also known as Chinese prawn crackers. They make a powder of dried shrimp and tapioca, and they, they make that then into a dough, and it's pressed and dried, and you sell them as wafers, and they, they dye them fun colors, pink and yellow and green. And then you can take those home and fry them yourself, and they puff up and kind of like styrofoamy, and they're just fun and, and crisp and crunchy, and they're not very fishy at all. So as I was doing this, I suddenly had this memory that I had forgotten up until now that when I was in fourth grade, Eddie Yu's mother came into our class, and she stood at the front of the class, and she showed us how to take these wafers and deep fry them into into shrimp chips. And it was amazing. And there's a shout out to Mrs. Yu from fourth grade. They're almost a, a healthier chip substitute because they're lower in carbs, they're higher in protein. And you could make them either, you know, even healthier if you wanted to air fry them. But, you know, let me just tell you, the Eddie Yu's mom isn't going to air fry them. She's going to deep fry them. So you make your own decisions with that and you decide what's right. I will also say, my memory is that in fourth grade, she was frying, frying, deep frying shrimp chips. But that doesn't sound right, right? But let me remind you all, this was the 70s. She, she probably had the deep fryer on and then told us to bob for the shrimp chips. Because that that is how it rolled in the 70s. Anyway, the brand is Ono, O-N-O, which in Hawaiian means delicious. And they're flavored with, hello, the furikake spices that we just talked about. So we sat in this little park on the ocean by the side of the road. And P.S., I completely missed the sign that said, no turn. So I just stopped and I waited and I waited and I waited to make this turn. And I screwed up the entire traffic of Hawaii. And I'm sorry, Maui, it's probably still snarled. I didn't know. I'm a white guy from the mainland and I messed up. Now, I also, with it, I drank one of those large cans of Foster's you know those, that Australian beer in the big blue oil can, the Fosters? And why do you think I bought a Fosters, people? You know why. Because I told myself I could only have one beer with lunch. And if I'm going to have one beer, you know me, I'm going to buy the one that comes in a bucket. It was delightful. I, I don't think I've ever, I never buy Fosters here, but I always seem to buy it in Hawaii. And P.S., did you know it's not a popular beer in Australia? No, they export it. And we like it here because it's an oil can of beer. So food trucks, aloha oi. Food trucks are very popular on the Hawaiian islands. You can get shrimp and poke and chicken and rice dishes. You can spend the whole week on an island and never go to a restaurant. And our hotel had a really good one that was right outside the gates. So in general, we ate like that. So my first night there, I had a huge plate of, here we go talking about specific foods, huli huli chicken. Huli huli chicken is grilled over mesquite wood with a huli huli sauce. Uh, which is kind of sticky, sweet, smoky, teriyaki type of sauce. Huli huli chicken is one of those really great only in Hawaii foods. Huli huli sauce is like a teriyaki, as I said. It's usually like ketchup and soy, brown sugar, honey, garlic, ginger, Worcestershire, things like that. The original was created in 1955. This guy named Ernest Morgado, he was the head of Pacific Poultry. 
in Hawaii. And he barbecued this chicken recipe at a farmer's gathering. And it was so popular, he he was just being very generous with it and bringing it around to a lot of fundraisers. And the more he brought it around, the more it became known and very popular. Now, the recipe calls for the chicken to be sandwiched between two different grill racks, right? You have, the, you have your grill racks over your grill, but you put two of them in the chicken sandwich in between. And then you keep flipping the grill racks as the chip and chicken is being cooked. Huli is the Hawaiian word for turn. So flipping, flipping, turning, turning, huli, huli chicken. Um, Morgado began bottling the sauces, and he trademarked the name. So huli, huli chicken, the the that phrase kind of disappeared because he began asserting his rights to the trademark. So I did eat some huli huli chicken off of a food truck, which may have been trademark infringement. I might have been eating infringement chicken. But listen, people, I was an unknowing accomplice. I, just, I didn't even know. I also got, speaking of food truck chickens, mochiko chicken. That was off of Kaipo's food truck. Now, the chefs inside, oh, my God, people, they were having such a good time. Just what you want to see in a kitchen. You know, the chefs just really loving what they're doing, and they're proud about the food, and they want to talk about the food. And I didn't talk to the lead chef because he was busy, and he was talking to customers, but I didn't want to be that guy that went up and said, Hi, I'm a podcaster. Can you give me a little history about your Mochico chicken? Because we all remember how well that went with Tony, the bartender at Miller's Pub, this Christmas. If you didn't listen to the, the eggnog episode, Tony, I like Tony. He's not a fan of Steve. Anyway, you certainly want to have a beer with these guys, you know, post-shift. And I'm pretty sure that I heard him say that he had left his job as head chef at one of the large hotels. Maybe it was the Hilton or Sheraton. I don't remember. But, I mean, this is a real chef coming out and living his authentic life in this little food truck and just having a blast with making food. And I loved him. I love the chicken. It's called Mochico chicken. It's deep fried pieces of bite-sized chicken. Uh, it's marinated marinated in soy and dredged in Mochico flour, which is a sweet rice flour. So it has Japanese roots. Great beer food. Oh, I should have gotten another another oil can of, uh, of Foster's. Anyway, all the dishes came with mac salad. Just about everything on the island comes with mac salad. You get your meat or your stew, your two scoops of rice, and mac salad. This is like a lot of starches for me, like two two scoops of rice and macaroni salad. So I'm confused about that. So let's dive into this. Aloha oi. So Hawaii's much-loved version of macaroni salad is what I think of as a plain, not especially good version of macaroni salad. They overcook the elbow macaroni pasta on purpose. They want to make it very soft and kind of uh, bloated. And then they whisk in mayonnaise, usually a very good quality one like Hellman's or Duke's. And you put in a lot of mayonnaise. A lot of mayonnaise. A lot. Listen, I am a white boy from way back. So I, honestly, I have no problem with too much mayonnaise. So Mac salad really gained popularity in the 1900s with the wide availability of the dried pasta, in this case, 
elbow macaroni. Mac salad is always elbow macaroni. It was very cheap to make. It could be easily swapped out for, you know, potato salad, potatoes being perishable. Uh, the creaminess is, you know, in fact, it, it's a nice counterpoint to a lot of these salty teriyaki meats, but it is a staple of any plate lunch in Hawaii. And personally, I don't put rice and macaroni in separate categories. I think they are both starches. But I'm not Hawaiian, and I don't live in paradise, and I had to shovel snow yesterday, so what the hell do I know? One of us here has made a poor choice. So God bless. Eat your mac salad. And then we went, took the road to Hana. So one of my favorite food days was this, this trip. It's a, it's a road trip you take to Hana. It's a 64-mile stretch along the northern part of the island that goes east to the town of Hana. And when you tell someone you're going to Maui, they're usually, hey, you're taking the road to Hana? And this was our first time doing it. And honestly, we waited too long. It, it is a tremendously beautiful experience. And aside from the scenery, which was crazy, and the waterfalls were crazy, uh, the food to be had along the way was wonderful, and we had to pace ourselves. I want to tell you about Aunt uh, Auntie. Excuse me. You don't, you don't say aunt in Hawaii. They're, they're auntie. Auntie Sandy's banana bread. Banana bread is a big thing in Hawaii. And, and not, I mean, it's been big in Hawaii before COVID. Because don't you tell me that, you know, during COVID, I made a lot of banana bread. I know you did. I saw your Facebook post and your damn banana bread and your sourdough starters. No, they were already doing this. Uh, Auntie Sandy's kind of a renowned place. It's a road stand on the Keunai Peninsula. Uh, they're only open from 8.30 in the morning to 2.30, and they run out of the banana bread every day. And so this stand is at a stop where you can walk along this lava reef peninsula, and we did just that. We explored the lava rocks, watched the splashing, looked at the crabs, and we ripped big soft chunks of fresh banana bread just right off the loaf out, out of the saran wrap it was wrapped in, and it was delightful. Of course, there's fresh fruit everywhere. We're, um, you know, there are a lot of roadside stands selling fruit that you might not know. There were some really unusual green oranges. I mean, the orange itself, fruit, the flesh is orange, but the fruit uh, is green on the outside. Apparently, they are, uh, uh, I think they're Thai. Anyway, we were exploring some waterfalls along the road to Hana, and I found this little round fruit on the ground. Because in Hawaii, there's free fruit. It's on the ground if you want it. Take it. So this one was about the size of a lime, and it was cracked, so it was easy. I just split it right open. And inside was a jelly-looking, uh, orangey, yellowy, tangerine jelly with these big seeds in it. And neither Dan or I knew what it was, but I guessed it was a passion fruit. And Dan, who will eat anything, anything, he refused to eat it because he wasn't quite sure that this entire trip wasn't a plot to get him out into the jungle and poison him. So I did, but I did want to try, but he, he caught me. So I tasted it, and it was massively tart. It was just a huge flavor. And hello, it was a passion fruit, and I was right again, which is the most exhausting part of my marriage. Being right all the time takes a toll. Anyway, passion fruit or lilikoi, as as we may say, lilikoi, which is such a nicer thing to say than passion fruit. Isn't that a fun thing? Lilikoi. It's a small fruit. It can be yellow. It can be purple. Once you cut it open, it's got these little fat seeds and a pulpy juice or a sticky yellow goo, whichever you want to use to make it sound delicious. 
neither do. It grows in tropical climates like Ecuador or Brazil or Puerto Rico. They, it all, all has different names in all the countries. It was introduced to Hawaii in the late 1880s, and it's naturalized now, so it's not a problem. You want to look for ones that seem dimpled or discolored. That's what shows ripeness. So the one I found was still hard, so that's why it was so intensely sour. It wasn't ripe yet. Uh, the name passion fruit. You ready for a little information that I'm going to drop on you? Okay, here we go. The name passion fruit doesn't actually refer to the emotion passion. It refers to the passion of Christ because the flower that it has, it's got a beautiful, like crazy ornate flower. It has, the flower represents the five wounds of Christ and those are surrounded by kind of fluffy, spiky petals which represent the crown of thorns. Passion fruit. Uh, we took a bike ride down a volcano Haleakala. So the volcano is Haleakala, and you take you take this 23-mile bike ride down, and it's all downhill. And if you go to Maui, you have to do it. It doesn't matter your, how how in shape you are or not because you just sit and ride. It's, it's delightful. But towards the bottom of the volcano, you end up in Makawao, which is a tiny strip, a just tiny like neighborhood town hardly. Uh, it's got a couple coffee shops and food stands. And Okay, look, I love that Hawaii has these restaurants that if they were in Chicago, they would be closed immediately before they could flip over their open sign. And I don't mean that as a slam against these places in Hawaii. I mean that they make it so difficult to open up and run a food business in the big cities here on the mainland that it is thrilling to be somewhere else and walk up to this handmade wooden sushi bar that they built themselves on this trailer base. So it's not a food truck in the sense of a rolling vehicle food truck. It's a stationary structure on a temporary rolling base. And I'm talking about a place in particular called Satori, S-A-T-O-R-I. And they'd literally just pulled up their window for service. And we had a couple of magnificent spring rolls. Uh, we had, they, uh, it was the Lilikoi Spicy Tuna with avocado, Lilikoi macadamia nut aioli. Hello! Hello! Lilikoi macadamia nut aioli, macadamia nuts, and fresh uh, shiso leaves, which is difficult to say, fresh shiso leaves. What a treat, and what a cool building that they made, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I just... I, I just think it's it's so different than how we do it here. All right. And now we are going to go to one of the best meals I've ever had in my life. Natalie, a little music, definitely here. Okay, you know when you go out of town and people say, oh, you need to visit this one hot spot because everybody goes there. And the same it's the same one that on all the tourist websites, they all talk about it. And you're like, yeah, no, I'm going to steer clear of all of those Americans in their baseball caps while I am there. I am not going to go. So you'd be hard pressed to plan a trip to Maui and not be told to visit Mama's Fish House. And I'm telling you, this was so far beyond the hype. Truly one of my favorite meals ever and i'm going to make you hungry you ready listen if you're in your car right now and you're like headed home after work and you're hungry i'm sorry but you just gotta you just gotta hear about this first of all the place is 
magical. It's right on Kua Bay, and I'm sure I'm saying that wrong. Um, and it's got these grounds that you can wander around before your meal. There are people surfing right there and kite surfing and fishing. And you go inside, and the woodwork is freaking stunning. Uh, I can be one of those people that get lost when a hostess takes me to my seat. Like, if the rest of the family is there, I am the little duck behind that if the restaurant is as beautiful and interesting as Mama's, I just keep stopping to look at the inserts of the woodwork on the paneling and the ceiling work and the details in the bar and and the lighting fixtures. And Oh, my God, you guys, the hula girl lamp. Stop the car. The hula girl lamp. They have at the bar this hula girl lamp. I believe she was made in bronze, but she's got a grass skirt that spins very slowly and hypnotically as the light is on. And it's the best greatest thing ever. So I stop at the bar and I kind of am leaning too close to this guy because I'm staring at this hula lamp. I said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I've got to just looking at the lamp. And he says, no, I get it. I sat down. I was talking to the bartender about it. He gave me a card and the bartender walks over and he hands me a business card of where we can all buy this hula lamp. I'm like, this is so fun. So anyway, I, I will put the link up on our Facebook page so you can see the hula girl lamp and see if maybe, you know, you would just want to buy me a little a little gift. I believe it's like a $1,500 lamp, but it depends how much you like me. Anyway, so as I said, I'm the duck that's lost and everybody else is at my table. Um, so Mama's is an open-air restaurant with a spectacular view. It faces east, so you're not going to see the actual sunset, but you just watch as the light changes over the ocean and over all the palm trees. It affects the trees and the sky, and you watch darkness take over. We got there at 5.30 with a 7 o'clock sunset. It just it couldn't be beat. So we started with an ahi ceviche with kula blueberries, so local blueberries, Tahitian lime and chili peppers. It was topped with microgreens and these gorgeous tiny, tiny little ferns. Like you need to put these little ferns on with little tweezers. Oh, oh. And the waitress, who I adore, I can't remember her name, and I didn't want to call and say, hey, could you, and describe this poor woman and see if you could, you know, tell me what her name is. And I feel bad because I, I just thought she was great. And if she comes to Chicago, she needs to stay with me and I will feed her. But she brought over some diver-caught octopus for us to try. It was very simply seared and sliced. Now, the thing about mamas is that the fish is caught daily, obviously, but the menu tells you where exactly on the island it was caught and the name of the fisherman. It's wild. So she wanted us to have this octopus because as she was telling us about the special, she pointed toward the beach and she said it was caught there, like right there this morning. So here's the deal. Now, one of my favorite things ever. We had haleakala beef. Remember I told you about haleakala, the volcano, in a grilled hana papaya. Hana was where we went, the road to Hana. Dan and I were ready to pass on this one because we wanted only fish, wasn't, weren't interested in beef. But the waitress told us that it's their, their most popular uh, starter item and that we had to have it. So here's the deal. Maui has a history of cattle ranching that actually predates Texas and southwestern ranches by about 30 years. So in 1793, King Kamehameha I was gifted livestock, including five longhorn cattle. And obviously there's no horses or cattle on the islands. Naturally, they had to be brought there by ship. So he put a kapu on those, which means um, that it is forbidden. They were not allowed to uh, kill these. 
So for 10 years, the cattle are left to roam freely until they, there were so many cattle, they're becoming a nuisance and they're eating all the crops. So in 1832, King Kamehameha III sent one of his chiefs to Mexico to enlist cowboys to come there and teach the Hawaiians cattle management. So he came back with three vaqueros, which is Spanish for cowboys. And the culture of Hawaiian paniolo was born. The word paniolo is a derivation of the word espanol, which the vaqueros spoke. Makes sense, right? So their culture, though, isn't Western. Uh, I was reading this journalist. She's a a Hawaiian-raised journalist named Constance Hale. And she said that where the Clint Eastwood cowboy is all piss and pistol, the Hawaiian paniolo is possessed of a gentle soul, a lovely language, and a music that is more soft and sweet than achy-breaky. The paniolo knows his flower species as well as his cattle breeds. The paniolo weaves blossoms into lays he then wraps around his hat. He teaches his horses to swim in the ocean and to pick their way through sharp fields of lava. I love that. So anyway, what I'm getting at is that this beef was local and it was fresh. And they presented half of a papaya that they had scored and grilled. And then the beef pieces were in the center of it with like little tomatoes and little cucumbers. And you squeeze lime onto it and the juices. Oh, my God, people, I'm not joking that my mouth is watering right now. The juices from the meat drizzle into the papaya mixing with the lime. And I am telling you, it was stupid. It was stupid how good this was. We also had an opaka-paka. Opaka-paka. Do you know what that is, people? All right, take a second. Take a second. Ready? The word today is opaka-paka. And go. Good for you. Opaka-paka is a pink snapper. And this was baked in a Kona lobster with macadamia nut crust. And just in case you were wondering, it was caught in the deep sea reefs near Lanai by Corey Kawano. <laughs> uh, but the main thing we had, the main thing was another item, and it wasn't on the top of our list, but our waitress slash Sherpa led us to it. It was a mahi-mahi and ahi curry. And it's fillets of the mahi and ahi, and they're just swimming in this luxurious curry broth and served with a dish of condiments to play with. There was a mango chutney, a hana banana, um, and a macadamia nut sambal. And you just could play with the different flavors that you're eating your curry. And listen, Mama's Fish House does not need me to advertise for them. They reserve three to six months out in advance. And I'm here to tell you that I had the most lovely night. And if you plan on going, you better plan ahead and get a table and save me a seat. And we are going to eat papaya with the beef, and we are going to get that curry, and oh my God. All right. Let's go to the part that maybe I wasn't so thrilled with. There were two thoughts of what surprised me about Hawaii in general. The first is, you know, I didn't see that much in the way of vegetables. It, it occurred to me halfway through, like lots of starches, root veggies, you know, in the form of like taro. And there are those wonderful sugary Maui onions. Oh. And we did have some asparagus on one dish and a few wax beans. But vegetables, as we eat them on the mainland, it's not as prevalent. It's not the same, you know, the, the side of veg. Now, I'm not saying you can't find a green salad, but your dishes don't normally 
include the way we we eat our vegetables here. And I wasn't sure if I was being fair about that. I contacted two of my friends who live in the islands, and they both agreed. Mary uh, originally is from Kentucky, and she agreed that finding the starchy vegetables along pork and rice, you, you can, but not so much ever like leafy green things. And my friend Phil had an interesting take. He pointed out that most of the vegetables and fruits are actually brought in despite the fact that growing conditions are pretty perfect there. And he was saying that a large supermarket, he sometimes pays two bucks for one lemon on Hawaii. And he wonders if, you know, maybe there aren't that much veg around because affordability is a factor. And listen, again, I am not complaining about being served a haleakala beef and a papaya instead of alongside some Brussels sprouts. I, I have no issue Hawaii, no issue here at all. I was just I was just surprised. And the other thing, and I'm sorry, Hawaii, but this was a disappointment to me. The cocktails just weren't what I was expecting. I expected to be able to find a really fun tiki bar, but I was completely out of luck. I, I did have a couple of Mai Tais, and they were fine, and I had a Scorpion, which was good, but it was only good. But tiki culture, I didn't really see that really truly had a home there. Uh, as far as cocktails are concerned. And I assume that this is an issue because my expectations are based on cultural appropriation and that tiki culture isn't really truly Polynesian. It's more of an idealized Western version of Polynesian culture. Now, I'm not saying the Pacific Islanders are finding tiki bars offensive, but if you're going to Maui and hoping to find like that thatched bar and uh, all, all of the great woodwork and the great cups with the tiki cups and everything and umbrellas and ukulele music, uh, you might be disappointed. And I will talk about this a little more in our section on recipes. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. So where does tiki culture come from? Now, before I really get into this, let me stop myself already. I want to say that I'm only going to touch on this because tiki is its own full episode. I've got so much to say about this. So we're only going to we're only going to touch in it. Tiki culture originated in California in the 1930s. It spread around the world as, as I said, a kind of what a sentimental view of Hawaii is. In Hollywood in 1933, Ernest Raymond Beaumont Gant opened a small bar in an old tailor shop that he fixed up to look like an island-style rum shack, and he named it Don the Beachcomber. Uh, actually, he officially even changed his name to Don Beach. But he had competition a couple of years later in Oakland, California, with uh, Victor Jules Bergeron opened the same type of tropical-themed bar, and within a few years, he had, he had expanded one location into a chain Vic had, and Vic called his chain Trader Vic's. And both of these guys claim to have invented the Mai Tai. Now, as I said, I had a couple of passable Mai Tais in, my, in, uh, in Maui. And the next time I visit Oahu, it seemed like there's maybe some more fun, what I expect to see in tiki bar options. But for our purposes today, I'm also going to call that the Mai Tai original battle who, who first made it. I'm going to call that for Trader Vic because I want to give you his classic recipe, which he named the Mai Tai, which is Tahitian for the best. And you didn't know that either. A Mai Tai is a very vulnerable cocktail. A moment for the Mai Tai. When you put the Mai Tai into the wrong hands, a Mai Tai becomes sickly sweet and juicy. It just becomes a, 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 a hua of a cocktail, all dressed up with lipstick. 
Now, the Mai Tai actually didn't even hit Hawaii until the 1950s when Vic, he was hired to create cocktail menus for the Royal Hawaiian Hotel and the Moana Surf Rider Hotel. And he lightened up the drink at that point for the masses, you know, because it was all tourists at the hotel. And that's when he started adding pineapple and orange juice. And that's the Mai Tai we most frequently see now. But originally, Vic's Mai Tai is really a vehicle for great rum, in particular for Ray and Nephew 17-year Jamaican rum. So his Mai Tai, the original, that's what we're going to talk about, okay, it became so popular that that 17-year-old rum ran out. They went, they went through all of that rum, and Trader Vic then switched to uh, Ray and Nephew 15-year-old rum. And his use of the Mai Tai was so prevalent that supplies for the 15-year-old rum dwindled in the 50s, and he had to resort to combining two different other rums into a blend. So the original Mai Tai with the, the Ray and Nephew 17-year rum, that is such a siren's song for cocktail geeks. And so powerful is that lure that the world's few remaining bottles— now, you think I'm exaggerating, right, that they went through all of this rum? I'm not. The world's few remaining bottles of J. Ray and Nephew 17 have been sold at auction for about $50,000 a piece, $50,000 each. In fact, the Merchant Hotel Bar in Belfast, Northern Ireland, was selling an original Trader Vic's Mai Tai featuring the original 17-year-old Ray and Nephew rum, and that drink cost $1,475, and they sold out of that drink within the year. Yeah. Now, here's a quiz, because Hans isn't here. Do you guys want to play a quiz? Yay! Here we go. The Mai Tai was a presidential favorite and became the official drink of whose presidency? Dwight David Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, Richard Nixon, George H.W. Bush. The Mai Tai was a presidential favorite, the official drink of Dwight Eisenhower, JFK, Richard Nixon, George H.W. Bush. Your time is up. The answer is Richard Nixon. He loved a Mai Tai. He used to frequent Trader Vic's at the Statler Hilton, which is a couple blocks from the White House. And even as I record this, we are a couple, uh, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. So let me point out that Richard Nixon brought his wife, Pat, to Trader Vic's to celebrate Valentine's Day, 1973. Uh, apparently, when he left, uh, he was a little a little loopy and feeling gregarious, which, if you can imagine, a gregarious uh, Dick Nixon. He stopped by a table, a bunch of people who had ordered Mai Tais. He slapped them on the back, and he said, they're lethal, because Richard Nixon was funny. He was, a, he was a funny guy. So anyway, happy Heavenly Valentine's Day, Pat and Dick. Trader Vic's original Mai Tai. We are going to use two types of rum, um, Appleton Estate Extra Dark Jamaican rum. We're going to want a Jamaican rum. We're going to use an ounce of Agricole rum. Now, regular rum, you may know, is made from molasses. Rum Agricole is made from pressed sugarcane. We're going to use fresh lime juice, but you're going to save the shell of the lime when you squeeze it. Orange liqueur, uh, orge, which is a... Almond syrup, basically, a little kind of rose-scented syrup, and some simple syrup. Now, you're going to put all those ingredients into a shaker, 
pour then with, with crushed ice and pour everything, the whole contents of the shaker, into a glass. You're going to take that lime and turn it upside down into the drink. That is going to be your island. And you're going to take a big sprig of fresh mint, and you're going to put that right on the edge of the island, and that is going to be your palm tree. Now, a lot of places do a dark rum float. Uh, that wasn't original. That came later. I mean, if you would like to, it's extra boozy flair, but, you know, it's just not in the original recipe. The only thing that's hotter than the oven is watching you cook. So, as always, if you would like this recipe, go over to our website, butidigestpodcast.com, and you can get it there. Um, our email is buttidigestpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, Facebook and Instagram, we're at buttidigestpodcast. Twitter, buttidigestpod. Also on our website, you're going to find a link to Hans's lines of spices. Hi, hello, Hans. As well as a link to download my cocktail book, The New Old Bar, which has some fun tiki drinks in it, I'm just saying. Special thanks to our web designer, Hewitt Rabel. To our editor, Natalie DeChico. Special music by Corey Goodrich and by Queen Lilio Kalani. And our theme music is by Brian Reyes. He did not do Aloha Oi. Again, that was Queen Lilian Kalani. If you're enjoying our show, will you just uh, you know, give us a rating? Help us grow. And Hans and I will both be together in two weeks. Uh, and I believe we're going to be doing an episode on the orange. Are we done here? You're going to have to answer for me. Yes, we're done here. We're done here. Aloha! Aloha!